Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And this morning I'll be reading verses 6 through 15, the end of the chapter. This is God's Word. Please give it your attention. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I've never been to Miami, Florida, but I've seen pictures, and like many cities in Florida, if you've seen pictures of city streets, many of them have rows of palm trees lining each side of the street. And I heard a news story a while ago about one of these palm tree-lined streets in Miami, and in the middle of this street, there was a large billboard advertising for Delta Airlines, and then it had the palm trees lining the streets on the, on the one side underneath the billboard. Well, one night some vandals came along and just for the fun of it, I guess, cut down six trees, left, leaving a big ugly gap right there in front of where that billboard is. And for many weeks and months afterwards, people in the community, business people and neighbors in that community begged the local officials to replace those trees because of that ugly gap there in the middle of the street. And every time they got the same answer back, we don't have the money for that. It's not in the budget. We can't afford to do it. Well, then after a number of months, all of a sudden, a donor came out of the woodwork and put up the money to plant six new trees, replacing the ones that have been down before. These trees were of a different variety. These palm trees actually grew about twice as big as the ones that were there originally to the point where they covered up the billboard. Guess who the donor was? Eastern Airlines, of course. (laughs) We know from our own experience that it's very easy to appear generous on the surface while harboring selfish, even greedy motives in our hearts. 
And really, that's been our concern over these last four or five weeks as we've been looking at the scriptures and what the scriptures have to say about giving. That's been the focus. It's not been my desire. It's not been the desire of the elders of the church to try to coerce you to give more. It's been my desire as I've looked at the scriptures to go to the scriptures and give us a biblical perspective on giving so that our hearts will be changed. So that we will become what, you know, what Paul says here, cheerful givers, because God loves cheerful givers. That's what we want. We want to lay out, open our hearts before the Lord, before the Holy Spirit, and allow him to change us. Because we're not born into this world as cheerful givers. We're born into this world as selfish givers. And when we do give, it's always for some return to us in earthly power, prestige, or possessions. That's the nature we're born with. But we are being remade into the image of Jesus Christ. And Christ gives cheerfully. To be Christ-like is to give joyfully. And that's what we're looking for. To get to the point where we love to give. And only the Holy Spirit and the Word of God can transform hearts like ours to make them like that. Jesus, as Paul quoted him in Acts chapter 20, Jesus is the one who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Most of us don't act like it. But that's what Jesus promised us. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's really the message that Paul's trying to get across here in 2 Corinthians 9. Actually, I need to give you a little context for the whole section here from the beginning of chapter 8 through the end of chapter 9. That's what Paul's talking about is giving. Why do we give? And he's particularly bringing the subject up because... It was a, there was a big issue going on in the early church in the first century that the Jewish Christians, those of Jewish heritage, that were living in Jerusalem were under severe persecution, and the persecution had led to poverty. They were hurting in terms of material financial needs. And one of the things that as you read the New Testament epistles, Something you may have not really noticed before, but there's a number of references to the apostles going around to the churches in the rest of the empire, the Roman Empire, and taking a collection for the poor, struggling Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul is in the midst of making an appeal to these Corinthian Christians in in the city of Corinth, in what is modern-day Greece. He's appealing to the Christians in that city to give to the needs of the poor Christians in Jerusalem. It's interesting when you think about who the Corinthians are. If you know anything about 1 and 2 Corinthians, this was a predominantly Gentile church. It was in a very wealthy city. The Christians were probably very wealthy, but it was a very spiritually immature church. It was thoroughly filled with conflict and division and paganism and, and just, you know, sins of lust and and chaotic worship and just all kinds of problems in the Corinthian church. But they were wealthy. Spiritually mature, spiritually immature, contentious and wealthy. Sounds like American Christians to me. And he's appealing to them to give cheerfully and joyfully 
to the broader kingdom, to those in need. And it's interesting that what he lays out before the Corinthian Christians is, here are the blessings for you when you give. He doesn't put up pictures of starving, emaciated Jewish Christians living on the streets in Jerusalem. What he does, it's just interesting to me, he says, here are the blessings to you if you will invest in the kingdom this way by giving to these brothers and sisters that are suffering. Four blessings, I think, in this passage. The first one, he tells the Corinthian Christians that our giving increases our reward. Our giving increases our reward in the kingdom. Have you heard this before? It's been a point in every one of my messages for the last month. Uh, Literally, when I do an outline, one of the major points, and I think almost every message I've done over the last month, one of the major points in the sermon, because it's what the text says, is that when you give, you are rewarded by the Lord to a far greater degree than what you've given in earthly material goods. And the reason it keeps being a main point of these passages is because it's a main point of Scripture. That when you give, the Lord gives back to you more and greater. That's what Paul's saying in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is saying, he's using the metaphor of a farmer. And he says he's saying basically that the farmer does not give away, when he gives away his seeds, when he scatters his seed on the ground, he's not losing it. He's getting back a far greater harvest in return. And so he's saying that's how we're to think about our giving to the kingdom. Is that when we give away, we are basically planting seeds, anticipating a harvest in return. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible repeatedly commends that motivation. Let me read you a number of verses. We've already looked at a number of passages, but let me just underline it by going to some other passages of Scripture. One of my favorites is Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11. Listen to what uh, Moses says there. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything you put your hand to. I just to me, that's such a visual image to me. And let just this morning, just let the Holy Spirit drive this question into your soul. Am I a tight fisted person with the things that the Lord puts in my the material resources the Lord puts in my hands or am I open handed? Are we am I tight fisted or am I open handed? Because the law of Moses promises that if we will be open-handed with what the Lord puts in our hands, he will bless us in return. Christ-likeness is open-handedness with material possessions. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. It couldn't be any more clear. Giving leads to blessing. Withholding tight-fistedness leads to poverty. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will reward him for what he has done. 
One more, this time from the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Give of your earthly resources, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you give bountifully, you will receive bountifully. That's a kingdom principle. That's a biblical principle. There's nothing wrong with being mowed. That's one of the reasons why you give joyfully. It's because you know that the blessing back to you is going to be far greater than whatever value you had in your earthly material financial possessions, whatever they may be. The joy of giving comes from anticipating a future harvest. Now, having said that, I again have to separate us from the health and wealth people who say that if you give $10, you can expect the Lord to give you 100 back. Because the reward, as the scripture defines the reward, is not, usually not, material, physical, earthly reward. It's usually not. Notice even Paul alludes to this in verse 10. He says, now he who supplies seed to the sower will enlarge the harvest of what? Of your righteousness. And that is of far greater value than whatever's in your bank account or in your garage. The harvest of righteousness. As Paul said to Timothy in the passage that we looked at last week, there's great gain in godliness with contentment. Giving away your earthly resources is no guarantee that you're going to become rich or even comfortable in this world. Many times the Lord will ask us to go through difficult physical, financial relationship difficulties. We'll go through trials. We'll go through deprivations. But the promise is that in eternal things, in things that are of much higher value, if you give your earthly resources to those in need and to the kingdom, The Lord will reward you. Christ-likeness, spiritual maturity, joy, peace, contentment. You can't put a dollar value on these things. We're coming up on the Christmas season in a couple weeks. Can't believe that. But it's true. In a couple weeks, you're going to start hearing Christmas music and going to start to prepare to celebrate the Christmas season. And I think it's a good thing that once a year we have to stop and think about giving. But it's interesting to me that so many people hate Christmas time. And I think it's because Christmas time, for so many people, it's become begrudging giving. Not cheerful giving, but begrudging giving because you come up with your list of your your sons or your daughters, your wife, your mother, your father, your cousins, and you have this to-do list and you have to get them all something and it becomes this chore and you lose the real joy of giving. When I think about the Christmas season, I think about two movies that I watch, part of my Christmas tradition. I watch two movies every year. One of them is one of the better versions of the uh, Christmas Carol story, the Ebenezer Scrooge. You know the story well. He was tight-fisted. That was his defining characteristic. He was tight-fisted. He hoarded the resources that the Lord put in his life. And he ended up destitute, alone, alienated forgotten and with no eternal hope. But the other Christmas movie that I watch every year, the counterpart to that one, is It's a Wonderful Life. 
It's a Wonderful Life, story about George Bailey, a man who had dreams about being great in the eyes of this world, a great architect, go out and build great bridges, to be rich in this world. But yet, at every turn, his plans were thwarted, and he ends up having to stay and serve his father and serve his, his brother and serve Give up his resources, his opportunities, so that others can prosper. He spends his whole life doing that, and he becomes angry and resentful about it. But the angel is sent to teach him a lesson. And at the end of the movie, remember the last scene? Standing there, after the Lord, after the angel had taught him this lesson, he's standing there in his living room, surrounded by his entire community, his entire family, and the toast that's offered by his brother, Harry Bailey, to George Bailey, the richest man in town. It's a biblical message. Tight-fistedness, die destitute and without hope. Open-handedness, end up rich for eternity. It's a clear choice that the Lord, that the scriptures lay before us again and again and again. If you give of your earthly resources, the Lord will reward you. Second blessing. Our giving increases our capacity to give. It's an interesting point that, that, that Paul makes here. The more you give, the more the Lord increases your capacity to give. Look at verses 8 through 10 again. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God is looking for people who are cheerfully willing to funnel his resources where they're needed in his kingdom. That's what he's looking for. Let me change the metaphor for just a moment. The Bible says that the church is like a body. And if I'm allowed to take a little liberty with that, if I could think of the heart like doing the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, represented by the heart, would be Pumping the life-giving blood through the body. And the intent of the the artery uh, system of the body and the vein system of the body is to distribute that blood to every part of the body so that every body can be healthy and flourish. And so if I think about my arm and I think about the blood flowing from my heart through my arm, the intent of the body, the way it was designed, is that the arm would take the nourishment from the blood that's needed for that the arm to be healthy and strong, but allow the rest of the blood to flow through so that my hand gets the blood that it needs so it can be healthy and strong. But if that artery gets clogged and the blood doesn't flow, then the hand suffers. And the, the church as a body is like that. God intends for the resources, the life and the light and the truth and the material reason, everything that, that is needed in the kingdom... He intends it to flow through you. Yes, that your needs might be met. We talked about that last week. Food, shelter, and clothing. That your needs be met, but from that abundance, allow it to flow through you to where it's needed. So again, ask yourself the question, am I clogging up the system? God has this wonderful distribution system for his resources in his kingdom. Are you being tight-fisted and clogging up the system? If so, then you're missing the blessing. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you have received, 
freely give. Giving is an act of trust. It's a statement of faith. When you give from your abundance, you're saying, I trust that the Lord will provide for my needs in the future. He has faithfully provided for me in the past. I trust him to provide in the future. Fear is what causes the tight-fistedness. You want to hold on to some of those resources that are meant to flow through you because you don't have the faith that the Lord's going to provide in the future. And fear is the opposite of faith in that regard. Think about the story of the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17. Remember when Elijah came to her, he asked for food and she said, I have almost nothing. Matter of fact, I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and I'm going to bake myself some bread here and my son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die because then we're going to have nothing. And Elijah said to her, why don't you go ahead and make that meal, share it with me, and I promise if you give to the Lord by giving to my needs, the Lord will provide. And her jar of oil and her jar of flour did not run out. She trusted the word of the Lord. Do you trust the word of the Lord to be open-handed with the resources the Lord has placed in your hands? John the Apostle said, perfect love casts out fear. If you rest in the love of the Lord, you know that he has always been faithful to you in the past. He will continue to be faithful. It frees you up to be open-handed with the resources. And that's really the dilemma of stewardship, isn't it? We need to be good stewards. And good, solid, biblical, Christian financial counselors will tell you, you know, have six months of salary or three or four, I've heard different numbers, three, four, five, six months of salary put away in a savings account for security. Make sure that you have your IRAs for retirement fully funded. Make sure that you have a rainy day fund so that you can pay for car repairs or house repairs when they come up. Make sure that you have a good amount of life insurance. And these are all certainly elements of good stewardship. And that's good biblical counsel. But again, we're not talking about what you do outwardly. We're talking about the heart. And we so few of us even do that. I mean, how many of us feel that we, we could check off every one of those boxes and say we've done the good financial stewardship planning that we should do? But even if you've done that, you can still be doing that in a tight-fisted way. Where you're saying that I'm looking for my security in my savings. I'm looking for my security in my retirement. I'm looking for my security in my life insurance. And it can be done in fear and not in faith. Don't be tight-fisted. Be open-handed. As a statement of faith, the Lord will provide. Third blessing that Paul mentions. Not only does our giving increase our reward, coming back to us in eternal things, and not only does our giving increase our capacity to give, but thirdly, Paul says, our giving increases our view of God's glory. Our giving of our material possessions, and financial possessions, increases our view of God's glory. Look at verses 11 and 12. Our generosity, Paul says, will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, the poor saints in Jerusalem, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. They will glorify God. That's the result. That's the fruit. That's one of the great rewards of giving is that you see the people in need thanking God for what he's provided through you 
and giving glory to God. And what's the chief end of man? To glorify God forever. So by giving to others in the kingdom and enabling them to have what they need, you are producing within them the response of thankfulness which glorifies God. It's one of the greatest things we can do with our resources is to increase the view of the glory of God because that's the greatest good in life. I'm convinced that that's one of the reasons why the Bible encourages us, doesn't require us. And I think there are certainly reasons why you wouldn't do it this way, but it encourages us to give anonymously because we don't want to steal glory from God. We don't want to steal the thankfulness that's due to him for ourselves. And so that's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, appealing to that that desire by faith to look for the Lord's reward. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. God gets the glory from the people who receive. You get the eternal reward even though they don't know who gave. The focus stays on the Lord as the true provider worthy of all the praise. Back when I, I left seminary, my first son, I went to one year of seminary, then my first son was born. I had to leave seminary, try to make some money before I could go back again. It took two years to get back to seminary. But during those two years, one of the jobs I had was working as a disc jockey for a Christian radio station. And I didn't know at the time when I started working there that they were starting to come into some real financial problems. And I'd been there about six months and the manager of the station came in one day and said, sorry, guys, said to the whole staff, sorry, no paychecks this week. Came back the next week and said, sorry, guys, no paychecks this week. We went three or four weeks, I forget how many, at least three or four weeks without paychecks. We were already living on the edge uh, before we stopped getting paychecks. And in my history of my marriage, the history of my family, that's the closest we ever came to real poverty. And I'll just never forget one night... We didn't have anything in the refrigerator, nothing in the cupboard. We literally went through our closets and our dresser drawers for looking for change in pockets so that we could go down to the store and buy some bread and milk. But what amazed me, what I remember about that stage, that was such a a time of spiritual growth for my wife and myself. And one of the things I'll always remember is that our little country church that we were attending at the time, they knew what we were going through. They knew what the station was going through. They knew what we were going through. I'll never forget how many times we would go to church and we'd go out to get in the car after church and there'd be two or three bags of groceries in the back seat. You know what's great about that? Not just that God's people gave, but that when we think about that today and we think about it often, God's faithfulness, God's provision. I don't think about Joe and Jane Smith or whoever it was that gave it because we still don't know who it was. If if they had put their name on it, they put a nice card on it, put their name on it, I would think about how great they were, what a nice thing they did for us. I don't know who did it, All my praise over and over again the rest of my life goes to the Lord where it belongs. That's why the Lord encourages that kind of giving. As much as possible, get yourself out of the way. You're just a conduit. God has blessed you, 
and giving you the joy of being able to bless somebody else. That's the kind of giving that Paul's talking about. Fourth blessing, not only does giving increase our eternal reward, not only does giving increase our capacity to give, not only does our giving increase the view of the glory of God and the thankfulness to God, but finally, Paul says, our giving increases the unity of the church. It may not be real obvious to you. Let me read to you verses 13 and 14 again. By their approval, he's talking about the poor, Jewish, struggling, persecuted believers in Jerusalem. He says, by their approval of this service, the giving, the, the gifts that were going to come from the Christians in Corinth, they, the needy, will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And one thing that's kind of hidden in there, and I think it's probably not the best translation, the word generosity there in the original Greek is koinonia. And you know what koinonia means. Usually in the New Testament when you see that word, it means fellowship. It means partnership. And so as the wealthy, spiritually immature Christians in Corinth give of their abundance to the poor, needy, more spiritually mature Christians in Jerusalem, the koinonia, the partnership, the fellowship of the church is increased as the people who are not only thanking God for this provision, but are also longing for and praying for their Christian brothers and sisters in Corinth. You see, the Lord intends for the body of Christ to be interdependent. But the American culture trains us over and over again to be financially, materially, possession-wise, independent. I mean, why else do all of you own your own lawnmower, for heaven's sake? Why do you all own your own shovels and rakes? Why do you all own one of everything you need in life instead of sharing it with each other? It's because we're taught by, like Americans to live that way. Don't live in dependence on anybody else. But when we give to one another, when those who have give to those who don't have, the unity of the church is increased and again the glory goes to God. Because that's not the nature of fallen man to do that and live that way. We don't realize what a hot button issue this was in the first century. There was palpable, profound fear on the part of the apostles that the church was going to split in the first century. Not over the color of the carpet or not over the doctrine of baptism or anything like that. They were afraid it was going to split between Jew and Gentile. And you don't understand the New Testament if you don't see that very deep concern behind much of especially Paul's writings. And you see why Paul feels this collection that he's taking up from the Spiritually immature Gentile Corinthian Christians to give to the spiritually mature but poor and destitute persecuted Christian Jerusalem. Paul sees this as a tremendous opportunity to keep that split from happening. That the Jews and Gentiles would understand that because of the gospel of Christ, he says here, the Corinthians give to the needs of their Jewish brothers and sisters. And as they give to one another, The unity of the church, the bond of unity is strengthened. Paul refers to this. About a year later, he's writing to the Romans. And he makes reference to the same collection for the Jewish Christians. Listen to what he says in Romans 15, verse 25. 
Paul says, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased. They cheerfully did it, he says, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. You hear what he's saying? The Jews were the ones who were given the covenants, the temple, the sacrifices, the word of God. The spiritual blessings of the kingdom were given to the Jews in the Old Testament. But now those blessings have gone out to the nations, to the Gentiles. The Gentiles have been made rich in the kingdom because of what God put in the hands of the Jews. And now what a blessing it is for the Gentiles to give back material blessings, to bless them in their material and physical needs interdependence among the members of the body of Christ brings glory to God and it's what we're created for. We do it by giving. The blessings of giving, according to Paul, is that we increase in our eternal reward, we increase in our capacity to give, and we increase in our view of God's glory, and we increase in the unity of the church. Why do we not give more than we do? Paul ends this passage by talking about the indescribable gift. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, unspeakable, inexpressible. What gift is he talking about? Well, it's the same gift that he talked about at the beginning of this passage. Not the passage we read, but the beginning of this section in chapter 8. Go back to chapter 8, verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Gospel-driven generosity that is cheerful and joyful because it it's all about grace. And that's what our life is about now. The Son of God left the riches of the glory of heaven and took upon himself a human nature, the nature of a servant, even to the point of going to the cross and placing himself under the curse of God's wrath that our sins deserve. Talk about poverty, destitution. None of us has seen anything like the Son of God has seen as he hung on the cross in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins. He who was rich beyond expression became poorest of all so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Go out and enjoy the blessings of giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Our hearts badly need to be changed. We can't do it but we do open ourselves up to the work of your spirit and your word. Make us new creatures in Christ. Make us joyful, cheerful, generous. Show us how you want us to give that we might experience the kind of blessings that your word promises. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.